needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by the Nerd and Tie Network and Unscrupulous Chains of Command. Hopefully these things are unrelated. I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn, a writer and a fan of the television show Succession. Hi, I'm Marsweed Lobato, a science fiction writer and a Judge Dredd fan. Each episode, we watch stories from three different Star Trek shows and rank them on a big list from best to worst. We both love Star Trek, but it's far from our first fandom, which makes us the ultimate objective voices. And this episode, what are we doing, Mars? Well, we're doing that particular brand of higher chain bureaucratic bullshit, the bad Star Trek Admiral, or the Badmiral. As the kids like to say. Damn straight. We're we're putting on our sunglasses. We're getting incredibly corrupt at what we do. We're going to be bad morals. I, I worked for Starbucks for nine years. I'm already inherently corrupt because I've willingly sold out my morals uh, to pay rent. Yeah, I worked for a large banking group who would unfortunately say a few times, uh, hey, this is the kind of thing the FCA really frowns on when describing daily work. So, yeah, we've both been, well, not bad morals, bad underlings, I think. I've, I, I worked at a hotel and have actually, thinking about it, have participated in financial fraud. Oh, wow. That, get that under the command of some kind of bad moral, I'm guessing. I, I was, um, I'm, I'm going to go with Nuremberg rules in this one and say hashtag only following orders. Wow. Hush. Okay. Uh, well, before we incriminate ourselves, Miles, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke? Well, for the last few days, I have not been enjoying having a cold. If I sound even more nasally withdrawn than usual, I am just getting over a two-day cold, which is annoying because it makes me feel like I have no energy, and I hate feeling like I have no energy. But this last week, I went and saw a film, a piece of cinema, some Ooh. kino, if you will. I went with Rihanna, my wife, and friend of the show and fellow nerd and tie member, Celeste, and we went to see the film Shin Masked Rider, which is enjoying a two-day Fathom event. It is a Japanese film based on the first incarnation of the long-running Masked Rider franchise. And so, it, this this is a superhero movie, right? It's a su it's a superhero movie. Yes, um, yes, I know. I've recently I've recently made a statement on my blog, um, about how I'm tired of superhero movies, and every time I've publicly said I am tired of superhero movies and not watching them anymore, I end up watching a superhero film from Japan. <laughs> and breaking my pro look it was funny that when i did it last year and quite literally the the superhero film i saw was literally called dragon ball super superhero wow um, but no uh shin mask rider is written directed by hideaki Anno, who created the incredibly popular 
and mistakenly believed to be a deconstruction of the giant robot genre by ignorant Western anime fans who don't realize that Japan has been making robot shows about how it sucks to be a robot pilot since 1979, if you're being generous. Yeah. But, no, uh, Shin Kamen Rider is about a guy who really likes motorcycles, who is turned into a super-powered cyborg grasshopper by an evil organization. Sounds much fun than I'm giving it, then you, you, your, your smirk gives it credit for. Okay. And, and he proceeds to fight this evil organization by kicking other cyborgs so hard they explode. Nice. Um, it's really good. It's it's fun. It's the third of his sort of Shin Cornetto trilogy because Arno also did Shin Godzilla. Back oh in my god, that was so good. 2016, and then Shin Ultraman, which I got to see earlier this year. I would say this one is the weakest of the three, but I still had a hell of a time watching it. Cool. And so, Charlie, what non-Star Trek? I'm guessing that it might have been, uh, was it Was it Succession? Well, so I was thinking of playing against um, saying that it's Legend of Zelda, Tears of a Kingdom, because that's been such a big thing, and saying the end of Succession. And then I forgot that I'd listed that down as my, you know... Um, your thing, yeah, you, the thing Admiral that you're a fan of, fandom up there. So I'm going to say Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom, which has consumed me in a way that um, video games haven't for a long time. Like I got into Hitman a little while ago, and I admit I've been pulling away more and more from spending so very much time on video games because it eats up a lot of time, and I should be writing and I should be editing. And I should be sorting out varied personal life things. And instead, I've just been playing Tears for Kingdom, which, oh my god, like I, I've grown tired of open world sandboxy games, but it's such a beautiful world. And there are so many things, and it's so scenic and gorgeous, and you know, just the noise of some gentle rainfall in a wood in there it's it's also beautiful and then you make a giant like tank out of bits of stone and old wheels to cart a, a tiny horrid little leaf boy across one hill to another and um yeah just fit a flamethrower to it it's it's got a lot of very fun chaos to it as well as a lot of beauty and and like my partner and i she finished the story like she's already done with the story and yeah i've done so many things she hasn't and vice versa it's fascinating to see kind of where we're both at with it it's yeah it's consumed my time and i i don't really regret that i i've been watching my wife play it a lot Hmm. and it's it's kind of incredible like all the kind of stuff you can build with the various construction mechanics. I've not understood why the internet is so obsessed with torturing little leaf boys. Oh, they're real shits. 
to be honest. Um, even in the first one, you couldn't actually pick them up or move them around. But when you found one under a rock, you could just drop the rock back on them. And there'd just be this, oh, this kind of little shock and surprise, but they were still merrily bopping along. Now they want you to detour from your busy day. And Link has a very busy day ahead of him with all of this uh, to cart one of them that's packed too big a bag and is too lazy to get over to the <laughs> other side of a hill to where its mate is. And what this means is you can interact with them. You can oh, pick no. them up. You can put them on a big cross, set it on fire, and have that roll down the hill towards their friend. You can do all manner of things. I launched one with a rocket at its mate, and it got most of the way there. And again, you just get this adorable little, oh, from them. And people say video games don't make you violent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. it's It's been good fun. I've been tormented by chickens. I've fought. Um, I've gone on a quest where everyone had to be in their pants. I, I don't think Emma's found Pants Quest and doesn't believe it's real, but Pants Quest is real. See, the the fun one I've been I've been seeing Rihanna do is the guy, um, the businessman who's hold, who has to hold up the sign, um, mm. or his boss because he's obsessed with his boss. And we're just looking at this guy, trying to help him. And every time it's just like, join a union. Join a union, mate. You're clearly being exploited by the man. Thing is, you'd speak to the boss, and he has... I, I think he's got no idea what Addison's doing. Oh, Addison. I think this that's is a guy that's going above and beyond with no real yeah. reason. You know, he'll stick a sign on everywhere. Don't tell him that there's a, a like, sky area otherwise he will try and find a way to get up there he's that desperate to please uh, well, well it, uh, before we get to the show i feel since we've been talking about striking workers and unions we we of course support the the wga's recent um writers guild strike in hollywood i support active unionization of uh international coffee franchises because uh you guys have too much money give it to your workers and if you've got this far in our show and this is what turns you off how did you make it this far i yeah what sure the fuck yeah i'm sure we have insulted ed sheeran jeff johns and margaret thatcher in the same episode so if this is what breaks you well done for making it this far actually uh thank you for enduring the trek um like and subscribe on itunes yeah, also for us money on Kofi as yeah. well. If you're if you're hate leaving us now, just for us money because you hate yeah. us so much. And then yeah. go away. Yeah. Alright. Uh Charlie, I guess we have a horrendous duty to perform. We do. Alright. Yeah. So we have three episodes all about bad morals. Although we've got Possibly more than three bad morals in here as well. So, first of all, we're going to fairly recent times with Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 10, titled The Stars at Night. This one aired on the 27th of October 2022, written by Mike McMahon, directed by Jason Zurek, and the UK and US number one hits 
I managed to screw up the assignment and not listen to these. So this is all on you for opinion here. So uh, Anmarian H with Psycho in the UK. I'm assuming that's not H from Steps. Yep, it's not H from Steps. It is actually um, a guy from Manchester called Harrison James Armstrong. Yeah, I see why he went with H. It's it's yeah. fine. Yeah, Bit easier. Yeah, like Harrison John Armstrong sounds like a villain from an episode of The Avengers. Wow. Oh God. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, uh, classic Avengers, not classic you know, Avengers. Comic Avengers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that. And the US one is Bad Habit by Steve Lacey. I've got no idea who Steve yeah, is. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's you it's know fine. it's fine. It's fine. Like it's it's a song. You you could you could probably drive to it. Wow. Okay. Given I don't normally drive, that's uh that's pretty powerful. Okay, you might be able to boogie to it. Okay, that's that's better. So that's more your level. Yeah, Mars. <laughs> Without further ado, um, why don't you tell us of this bad admiral in Lower Decks? Engage. Automation sucks, even in the future. Uh, admiral Les Winamigo, which is um, which translates to good friend, has designed the Texas class of Federation Starship, which is fully automated and thus rendering smaller ships like the California class that our heroes on the USS Cerritos are on utterly pointless. Captain Freeman and the, cr and the crew challenge the Admiral to prove that, you know, people, people still have a place to do the dirty work, even in space. And so... They have a start. They they plan to have a like a mission race to prove who is better, man or machine. Meanwhile, Mariner has left the crew from the previous episode and is doing Indiana Jones style um, arch action archaeology, including stealing what appeared to be like a gold Klingon Funko Pop from a bunch of Ferengis. She's having some uh, some doubts because you know she doesn't know who's fronting, who's backing. This collection of action archaeologists. Back on the Cerritos, Boimler has offended Shax by doing an impression of him. Not a good thing to do because you Terrible. don't want, you don't want to make the big bear cry. And oh. Boimler made the big bear cry. Rutherford is obsessed with the code used to code the Texas class ships, but he he's not sure why it seems so familiar. The ships go on the ship the, the ships begin their race. The uh, the Cerritos starts off well, but when on a mission down to a planet, uh, Tendi discovers a microscopic life form that might be sentient. They have to stop and investigate it because that's part of um, Prime Directive protocols, and unfortunately, they lose the race, thus potentially rendering the Cali class superfluous. But... Tendi's Tendi's finding of a microscopic life form might actually turn out to be the blessing in disguise because the Texas class overlooked doing the research, thus showing there are still flaws in the system that the Admiral needs to account for. At the same time, Rutherford realizes why this code is so familiar. It's his code. He designed it. 
um, and was made to forget about it. But unfortunately, it's the same code that he used to program his little helper buddy, Badgie, back in the first season, and Badgie went crazy. And this ha- looks like it might have the same problems. He bursts in to to uh, Freeman's office while she's on the uh, on the phone to the Admiral to go, hey, you've been up to some sketchy stuff. And the Admiral uh, is like, yeah, this is all sketchy. I admit it. Do you know how hard job? Do you know how hard job satisfaction is when you're an admiral? You have to really put an effort in, and so um, I'm just gonna kill you. So with my uh, text class, I'm gonna make it fully automated. Bad idea, admiral, because now you've made your now you've made your psychotic murder drone spaceship uh, fully independent, and the first thing it does is kill you. Um, it activates two more Texas class ships and starts attacking the starbase. Fr- Captain Freeman gets on the communicator and communicates to the ships, "Hey, we have your actual creator. Chase us and kill us instead." Rutherford's reaction: "Um, what?" And so the Cerritos darts off into, into warp speed, being followed by three crazy murder drone ships. While they st- while they try and come up with a plan. Uh, Shaq suggests that they drop the warp core and is instantly ignored by Captain Freeman. Boimler tells the captain to shut up and listen to Shaq's plan because Shaq's plan is actually brilliant and they're going to drop the warp core to use it as a mine. And Shaq finally gets to do what Shaq has been wanting to do since the beginning of the show and drop the warp core. This is Shaq's second best day of his life. And so... They drop the warp core while everyone in the ship is cheering Shaxx on. They drop the warp core and are pulled out of warp. They blow up. Oh. Oh. Oh, oh so close. So very close. Very, very close. They go. They manage to blow up one of the ships, but there are still two more. And the Cerritos is dead in the water. And then Mariner arrives. I forgot to mention she found out there was actually Admiral Picard who is backing action archaeologists. And she realizes that she actually enjoys being part of something bigger. Being a being a rogue who doesn't play by the rules is sometimes cool and all, but she likes Starfleet and what it represents. And so she arrives to save the day with the help of every single other California-class ship to team up and blow up the evil Texas-class ships. The day is saved. Boimler is confronted by Shax, who hugs him and tells him that he, is that he like Rutherford, is now one of his baby bears. Oh, bears. Oh, bears. Uh, Mariner returns to the ship and, you know, makes peace with her mother and rejoins the crew. And Tendi is given a new a new science buddy to train. And it is a Vulcan who we met in a previous episode. And everything ends. But wait! After the credits, we see one Rutherford's lost implant from earlier and from at the end of season one being collected by a mysterious spaceship and Badgie is still alive. Oh, no. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, no, not Badgie. Uh, so that was one minute and 36 over. 
I I am still I am still recovering from a cold, so if my brain is a little fuzzy, that's why. That's my excuse. I'm not being I'm not being traditionally masculine about not accepting my lumps. Not at all. Of course not. Yeah. So, Miles, Charlie, the automation of spaceships and all of that feels distressingly current. And yeah, hell, distressingly, I don't know, the last bunch of decades as well. But yeah, um... automation, pure automation ha- has been a theme in Star Trek since the beginning. Mm. And, you know, obviously in science fiction in general, um, because apparently, um, you know, making uh, robo drones and giving them the capacity to murder won't make things better. No, no, weird that. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting that this one, the one we're starting with, is the one where we get the kind of in canon defense of the bad moral. It's like, well, you kind of hit the top, and I guess if you're promotion driven, if you're if you're so invested in like a climb, yeah. what do you do when you hit what is basically the top? For for that or, sort of or, career, or just reach like a summit that you can't cl- that you can't climb. Yeah, yeah, you kind of plateau at such a level where your authority is so high, your responsibility is, you know, like people will assume will kind of let you get away with a lot because Buen Amigo couldn't have done this in a vacuum. No. You know, it's very clear that all the other admirals are kind of with him to an extent. Yeah, to a level. Uh, It's yeah, it's an interesting one with that. And I admit watching it, um, this is one of two episodes that we covered. We're covering today where I've seen them relatively recently. So I was watching it and already forming ideas about what could be done with leftover Texas class ships in potentially in a, a star trek rpg at some point because so i think that could be a fun holdover mm. to have yeah also a mention of Fabrine, who i don't think i've ever seen but often end up being just referenced offhand and i'm i'm curious how long we'll go before we ever see any of them the breen have actually been seen you see what? i think you, yeah um wow they okay, all right. Also, you've seen that you've seen the Breen since 1983. Oh, okay. Did you have the classic uh, Star Wars figures as a kid? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you have the one where of Princess Leia disguised as Boosh, the alien bounty hunter? Yeah. Somehow, miraculously, um, I had that and never lost the hat because it was one with a removable mm-hmm. hat. Yeah, yeah. Back in the um, day. The that era of toys, I know they're kind of collector's editions and all that now. My brother and I had tons of them because they were in cheap bins in Gamleys. And we got a load of them and took a lot of knives and Warhammer paint them to make our own characters, mostly. But um, yeah, <laughs> if you've seen Boosh, yeah. you've seen a Breen. Because oh. they, they're ba- they, ha- they have the same hat. Okay, 
that's it. That's their character trait. Like the character, the, the character trait is they're an aggressive alien race who we've never actually seen, but yeah. they, they're all dressed as Princess Leia and Jedi. Huh. Um, I mean, like, like Boosh, not like they're all dressed like Slave Leia. Yeah. I mean, that would be a, that would be Leia. that would be a different utopian alien paradise. <laughs> wow. So yeah. Um. I know when when I suggested this, you were very much on Team Shacks here. Oh, going like yes, this is I great. Am... This is Shacks's second best day. Why? Why all the love for Shacks? I okay. I think I love a comedically aggressive character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also love a comedically aggressive character who also who also very much has a heart of gold. Like yeah. it in it's like um it's like Brock Sampson in the Venture Brothers. Like very much in the first season, he is this psychopathic halting mulleted blonde Swedish murder machine. But then as the show continues, you see like the depth of his character. And I just kind of love that in Shax. I love how he calls Rutherford and now Boimler baby bear. Yeah. Like he's he's psychotic, but he's lovable. Yeah, there's definitely that kind of slightly adorable vibe to yeah. to him and how he is. That's been good fun to follow. It, it's, it's I um it's like gruff Wolverine in the cartoons when they have to tone down how <laughs> murder happy Wolverine can get. Yeah, I guess almost like Wolverine if Boimler and Rutherford were kind of teenage girls for were in need of some kind of murderous role model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. I so as far as this episode, I know this is another one where it's paying off a load of stuff that we've not looked at or covered for the show yet. But as a whole, it's still it's still held together quite well. Yeah, as a story, even despite that, I loved the race that they had. Yeah, and it felt like stupid for a bit strong it felt ludicrous going oh yeah we're gonna have a chase we're gonna have a contest but also from what we've seen you know in the what 51 episodes we've covered so far a hundred percent in keeping with starfleet's nonsense yeah you know Uh, but go yeah yeah fuck it let's make them race go on that'll help determine our our like overall policies and ideas starfleet is essentially a, a military organization run by nerds. Yeah. All the fresh nerd bullshit that is present. I think when I started <laughs> doing this, I was very much of the opinion that Starfleet is swashbucklers and nerds. Yeah. Like you have your ransoms, your Rikers, who want to, you know, swing off a chandelier and look cool doing stuff. And then you've got your spreadsheet weirdos like Tendi, like the Forge, and so on. You, you've who got the adore bacteria being a thing. And like you, you've got the people who want to study fucking quasars, and you've got people who want to fuck quasars. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's what how do you react to this? Yeah. Do you record it or do you fuck it? Um I I loved that with uh Mariner after saying about her in the pilot and how she was far too like Big but not funny with being your kind of almost Seth MacFarlane. Hey, this person's going to hyperactively 
jump around like a Woody Woodpecker type character. For her to go, like we've seen over the last few seasons, how she's someone whose behavior is very resistance based. And there's a lot of that, which is because of who her mum is. Yeah. Which is the captain, and because this is how she interacts with things, but she is still Starfleet, you know, and that's been cool. You know, ultimately, underneath it all, she is a Starfleet person, whether she likes it or not. Um, you know, she can be off, you know, exploring the galaxy, doing action archaeology for, for old JL and all of that, who is, you know, low key our second. Uh, unscrupulous admiral in this one, having a, a secret cadre of undercover, underground action, action, action explorer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we knew he liked digging around old ruins and that. I guess yeah. maybe he was like a big Indiana Jones fan as well or something. Maybe. Uh, do you feel like the jackets are, he, are like the dress code? Yes, yes, I insist. You can join my, my elite group of archaeologists, but you must wear the jacket and the hat, ideally. The whip is optional. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got modern technology for that, I guess. Uh, the, the, the the Ferengi have, like, those dumb whips oh, that God. the action figures had when, um you know, back when they were presented as the, uh, the credible threat in Star Trek The Next Generation, that didn't last long. Oh, we're going to have to get to that at some point. Oh god! So so when when we, have we done a have we've done a full Ferengi episode? Nope. We? No, oh. no, 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 okay. we've not got right. full Ferengi. Okay, I might just be thinking of Quark. Um, yes, yeah. yeah, we've had some Quark shenanigans. So we definitely need a Ferengi episode oh, with some with some season one evil Ferengi. Yep, definitely. Anyway, um, yeah. On that note, you know, this was. It was a good episode. It wasn't a massive episode, so it feels like we're we're probably in a good place to to sling it up on the list. All right. Um, um. Okay. And yeah, our list, just for listeners who may have forgotten, in the fortnight between episodes, or people who are listening to it for the first time, just because you like bad morals, I guess. Um. Yeah. This is a big list of best to worst. It's got fifty-one entries. At the moment, starting with number one, with DS9's pilot Emissary, which I think we both knew would be good, but impressed us even more with yeah. the present day watch. And then, what, around the midpoint, we've got Genesis, where everyone on the Enterprise turns into uh, kind of weird animal monster type things. Worf definitely kills a guy and Barkley becomes a spider. And then all the way down at the bottom in the 51st place, we have Enterprise with Future Tense, which just, it tried, it failed, and not even in a fun way. So I have been looking at the uh, the list. Mm. Now, do you think this is better or worse than Giant Spock? Oh. Infinite Vulcan, number 20. Oh my god. Infinite... <sighs> I kind of it's a difficult one. This is a this is technically better, definitely. I think I'd prefer Giant Spock just because it's giant fucking Spock, isn't it? Yep. You know, it's it's a plot directly out of the Legion of Superheroes in the Silver Age at their most ludicrous. Um and yeah, like both have 
interesting threats with the the AI horde of Texas class ships and the giant Vulcan. And you know, again, we're going to save everything. We're going to make a lot of peace by um, cloning giants. I guess. Yeah, uh, like it's a lot, a lot less plausible that plan uh, than this one. This one's almost distressingly pre- current, <laughs> with uh, you know seeing uh, things like the writers' strike having come upon the um, like just adding a clause about AI, and then realizing, oh shit, no, they genuinely are looking to replace you know uh, replace writers with. I think. Generation of content. Oh, go on. I think Badmirals are tech bros. Oh gosh. Yeah. I I mean we'll see we'll we'll certainly see some evidence to to support that in the next one. But um yeah, anyway, um I think Infinite Vulcan's a bit better. All right, okay. Personally. No problem. Let's uh let's Mm. uh, scroll down. Okay. Um, right. Genesis. Yeah, our midpoint. Better or worse? Is this better or is Shaq's second best day better or worse than Worf definitely killing someone that (laughs) that he shouldn't have? Yeah, I mean, see, for Worf, that would be one of his worst days, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't remember and everyone will do their best to make sure he doesn't remember because he's not going to deal with that well. No, um, like, I, I'm sure the um the the start the um the Star Trek policy to that kind of thing is if the reset button makes us forget, we didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard the Voyager adjust every so often. Someone mentions Tuvix really, and it gets really awkward. Oh my god, that'd be terrible. Just like casually over dinner, um, mentioning, oh yeah, Tuvix made a good paella, and Janeway just death <laughs> eyes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, not not as good as this, obviously. Do, you know, do, do you think <laughs> that they told Tuvok and Neelix about Tuvix? Oh, probably. It's like, yeah, for a couple of weeks, you're both one guy, and we all really liked you. Then Janeway. And now you're back, Neelix. <laughs> and then Janeway did a murder, like Worf in Genesis. So I think Genesis is a tricky one. It's got it's got a little more to it in in a good and bad way. Like it spends a lot more time building up because you know it's like a three quarter of an hour episode compared to compared to this one, which does manage to to move at a good pace. Um, I think I might prefer Genesis. Question is, I guess, is it better than the least dangerous game? Because I'm, I'm thinking possibly. See, and that's uh, where that's what, the one where Boimler gets hunted. Yeah, and um, you know, I, like I, I think this is because I feel this has a lot. Some really good the crew come together moments. In, yeah. Um, it does explore some of the eth- you know some of the basic Star Trek eth- ethos, where they, even though it'll cost them the race, they still drop everything to do what's right in making sure 
that the life form they found isn't sentient. Oh hell yeah, they they do a Starfleet. They Whether it Starfleet. helps them or not, they will do a Starfleet. Least dangerous game I liked. You know, this is a fairly top heavy list, and it's literally just under the halfway point. But it kind of felt like two B plots that were put together, really, um, compared to compared to this, which yeah was a bit more exciting. Yeah, so, it, it, there there is a bit. There's definitely more of a sense of scale. Mm. of what's going on. So yeah, I definitely think it's better than the most dangerous game than the least dangerous game, but is it better or worse than Data Law? Which again, uh, is about evil AI with It is. Issues. It is. I think Data Law is, you know, more more important as an episode because it's where we first see Law. I think I pr- I think this one's a bit more fun. Yeah. You know, again, it does not drag the way that Data Law can drag early it, on. It, it it is lacking the one thing that Data Law has, which is the great crystalline entity trademark all caps. Note note to editor, if you can put some reverb on my voice when I say the great crystalline entity. We'll, we'll see how I'm feeling. <laughs> all right. So yeah, I would say that mm, so would you say better or worse than Data Law? I think possibly better. All right. I, I think I'm going to agree with you. Cool. So that puts it in at exactly the halfway point now as um, point number 26 out of 52. That's one bad admiral down. Next up is uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, season seven, episode 12, titled Pegasus. This aired on the 10th of January, 1994. It's written by Ron Moore, directed by LeVar Burton. Both great names to get an episode by. The UK and US number one hits are Come Baby Come by K7 and Hero by Mariah Carey. I don't remember which Mariah Carey that one is. Um, It's one of the Mariah Carey songs, which sounds like it could be the closing credits track for like your mid-budget 90s action thriller. Okay. Like, I, I can imagine this playing out at the end of Con Air. Oh, wow. Okay. Not like at the end of Nick Fury, the... Uh, no. The Hasselhoff no. Film. Definitely not. Um, You know, look, it's Hoff. He would want one of his own songs. <laughs> True. True. Luckily, this is not casual Hoff. <laughs> can anyone ever be cas- truly casual about the Hoff? No, I've been watching a lot of what is it, Alison Pregler's yeah. watching. Is, watching. <laughs> yeah, well, because I've run a, a couple of games of Rulia Watch, a role-playing game mixing Call of Cthulhu and Baywatch. Oh, God. And I've never actually seen Baywatch, so I needed inspiration. And okay. her episodes of Baywatching have been very good for that. Okay, I feel like I need to tell you about this, um, this kind of RP system, well, RP kind of setting which um, Andy, the host of Breakfast in the Ru- the Michael Moorcock podcast, Breakfast in the Ruins, it's called Ramsey by the Sea, oh God. which is a RP about um, people on the dole in 1970s England. And basically, the aim of the game is to make it to your next gyro day without losing enough sanity points to su- to actually get an actual job. So it's about oh benefits. It's... Uh, it's very cosmic horror, as much as 
surviving job being jobless in seventies England. Yeah, it sounds distressingly like my parents' lives for a time. I, I will, I will, I will send it to you after the show. Yeah. God. Yeah, there's like a whole genre of that sort of thing. There was uh, Tram Force by Grant Howitt, where it's all post-Brexit, post-apocalypse, oh, where God. all that's left of the police have to use uh, old tram lines to move around because they can't afford <laughs> cars of their own. And um, you've got the, what is it? I think it's the Theresa May Memorial Seawall to try and keep people out. You've got that and Shadow of Mog. Which is a oh. <laughs> yeah again an apocalypse tube crawl oh, uh, no. game where you are you're facing the horrendous mog beasts and um, yeah you've it's it, it's wait it's pronounced mog m- yeah I I I since I okay since I live in America and thus mm-hmm. you know we don't get the stuff in the actual news I read his name on the BBC News website yeah. So I just always assumed it's like it's pronounced Moog, like Moog. The like the synthesizer. No, God, no. He's yeah. We're talking ghost of a Victorian workhouse owner, Jacob Rees Mogg. Yeah. Oh, uh, you mean uh, Jacob Rees Mogg, a uh, a cardboard standout given sentience by a cruel fairy godmother. Yeah, Jacob Rees Mogg, that fucking haunted mannequin. Ah. Uh. J- Jacob Rees, Jacob Rees Moog, a scarecrow, <laughs> an evil, an evil upper class Wurzel gummage of a man. Yeah, that one. Okay, anyway, that one. all right, we're on the same page. Okay, I, I, we have done a lot of tangents here, just as we're about to start. I can't wait for the message from any of our Amer- our US um US listeners who are like Wurzel gummage. Oh. What the fuck? <laughs> the God, the muck yeah. encrusted mockery of a man, Jacob Reese Moog. Uh-huh. Right, okay. On that horrible note, uh, on something much lighter with Pegasus. So, if you've got uh, some kind of timing device. All right, let's do this. Engage. Hooray! It's Captain Picard Day! And Yay! Men- a known child hater, Jean-Luc Picard has to judge art made by real, actual children in the real world, and try not to be too rude about it. Riker's having a great fun time playing with the toys and doing an impression of JL, which apparently inspired the whole scene. This all gets interrupted by Vice Admiral Blackwell, our secondary bad admiral here, who says the Enterprise needs to pick up actual bad admiral Eric Pressman from the Crazy Horse. He was Riker's old boss back on the Pegasus, a ship that was lost, and Romulans may well have found it. So, when the Enterprise goes scanning for it, sure enough, Romulan warbirds there, and the two evasively ask each other what they're doing there, scanning you know, just scanning, scanning for gases. Yeah, sure, sure. Of course. It's convincing. Um, <clears throat> uh, anyway, it's going to take the Enterprise a week and the Romulans have a head start, so they really need to crack on. While all this is going on, Pressman, played by Terry O'Quinn, aka Locke from the TV show Lost, catches up with Riker, bringing up the, the whole having a beard now, as well as the experiment on the Pegasus where things went very badly and the two were the only survivors. 
Pressman's had support from other bad morals to try the experiment again. Pressman also has some drinks with Picard, and they both have their own takes on Riker. Picard hired him specifically because of his subordinate nature, and Pressman liked how he was an unquestioning yes man. After all of this, they've found it. Oh yes, the Pegasus is inside an asteroid, but the Enterprise needs to play like it's its not all that fussed about this. And the Romulans start heading in their direction. Riker wants to blow the Pegasus up so it doesn't get into their hands. Pressman really doesn't like this, and Picard suggests, you know, just scattering some particles and shit over the asteroid to, uh, to block the scanners from the Romulans and call their heads prevail. Going along with this plan, the Romulans check it out, find nothing, move on. Pressman is so pissed off at Riker for suggesting blowing up the experiment. He calms down, though, reminds Riker about how others doubted him 12 years ago, and Riker didn't, because he's a good boy, even with the beard. Riker goes to Picard, and it turns out Picard's dredged up some files that were deeply buried about the Pegasus. Apparently there was a mutiny, the crew turned on Pressman, and everyone died apart from Riker, who escaped with Pressman. Riker really can't say any more, and Picard's pissed about this, but has to trust Riker not to kill everyone on board with all these secrets. So, there's all of that. And when Picard squeals to Vice Admiral Blackwell, she's like, leave it alone. Don't pry any further. So it's mission time. The Enterprise enters the asteroid and we get to see its headlights on. We get a great first person view going into the asteroid. And the Pegasus is there, visible, phased half into it. And ooh, knowing glance between Pressman and Riker. They know why it's like this. Uh, the Enterprise sticks some air in it. And Riker and Pressman go out alone to check out the engineering section and a lot of corpses for the there. Um, the experiment is still intact and Riker turns on Pressman here, They saying they both caused the deaths of this crew. Riker doesn't want to do this again. They beam back up and the Romulans have sealed the Enterprise into the asteroid, saying, we'll help you out of there via, you know, Romulus. Honest. Riker decides it's time to squeal about the experiment, saying it's a prototype cloaking device, which is illegal, but also it's mad science. So it disrupts the molecules, what it's attached to. And that's where it floated dead through the asteroid and kind of just stuck there. Pressman is not happy about this and decides to pull rank, take over, and no one, not even old Billy Rikes, listens to him. Take that, Pressman. They, um, they plug in the cloaking device, phase through the asteroid, and send a memo for Romulans going, Hey, I know what it looks like we did. I know it, it's illegal. We'll send a, Rom a note to Romulan High Command explaining what's happened. Pressman is taken away for a court-martial. Riker's stuck in the brig and told there will be repercussions, but don't worry. We'll do that between episodes. And he walks out of there. The end. Charlie. Yeah. Five seconds to go. Ah, oh, yes. You did it. I love it. You did it. <laughs> it's so taken proud. us nearly a year. <laughs> I am I am so proud of you. You Oh you and, my you, god. You you did it. I I always believe in you, baby bear. Oh, oh I'm so <laughs> proud. Oh dear. God. Well, that was that was a fun one. Um Miles. Charlie. Is Riker kind of like a union buster? 
in his in his past life Ooh. on the Pegasus. Ooh, ah, oh, Matt. Oh, I I think he may have been. Yeah, I listening to all of it. Like he's he's definitely Brando in on the waterfront. It's it's not good what he did. I know he was fresh out of everything and fairly new to the job. And others did technically stand by Pressman when he was there, but they all died. And it it feels kind of a bit hinted that Riker might have killed some people to to help put down the mutiny. Like they didn't yeah. just spontaneously die. There. No. Yeah, it's um, I, I feel like I have to correct your recap of the episode. Go on. Said that Picard chosen because of his subordinate nature, but what I think what you meant to say is he cho- Picard chose Riker because Riker stood up to the captain. Yeah, yeah. For the rules. Yeah, basically that because he questions the yeah. captain's takes and all that. Yeah, which you know, good for Riker, and it is definitely a useful a useful yeah. person to have. because uh, yeah, Picard doesn't want the kind of yes man that Pressman wanted. Like, you know, Picard, you know, Riker did something stupid when he was younger and believed that, like, to follow the chain of command. Mm. Like, you know, we've all committed minor fraud. Um, when we're younger to follow the chain of command, it's, you know, when you get older and realize and realize the mistakes you've made, um, that you might have to choose to, to, to fight against what you're told in following your own your own beliefs and your own ideas of what is right. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely become more and more kind of hardened towards that sort of thing. It's where working for a relatively benevolent public body at the moment has definitely helped that sense of doing good compared to working for a bank and just by default doing evil. Yeah. But yeah, it's... It's interesting seeing both this and the um, Rolaren episode from season seven fairly recently. We're seeing a lot more of a complicated, nuanced world for TNG in its final season. You know, I know this is the season where Barclay's a spider for a bit, but also we get a certain sense of not everyone is good, not everyone is right. And some of these people, despite that Roddenberry utopian ideal kind of thing, have some slightly shady shit in their, in their past. It's it's one of the, you know, when it comes like the the Federation, like very secretly making a cloaking device, Mm. it's one of those things where they're kind of like, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, yes. even though you have a treaty, you're going to skirt around it because of the inevitable of like the inev- the idea that there will inevitably come a time when we have when we have to have broken the treaty for better or worse. Yeah, I think this is a pre is it... I think it's a pre section 31 time, but it feels like something you'd put you'd have in that sort of. If you if you do it today, it would definitely mm. be a Section Thirty One joint. Yeah, here's all all our unscrupulous analogies to American war crimes kind of yeah. side of things, rather than hey, this is a a future where we're trying to be a utopia, even if it's not always easy, and sometimes we can rest on our laurels a bit. Yeah. Um. 
really liked I really liked Jonathan Frakes in this. Yes, yeah. He he had a hard job of like not quite character assassination of, of a guy he's been for seven years, but certainly of going, Yeah, this is something he's lived with, buried, and done his best not to ever have to deal with for so long. Now it's it's out. It's one of those cases where it's I can see him that what he went from the Pegasus turns him into into the officer that makes John Luke choose him to be his number one. Yeah, that he goes from being that very kind of not questioning yes man to being the person who's you know who stand who stands up and talks back to the captain. When of course one of the I know we've often talked about the problems of this being a show where a lot of time you have to wrap up neatly at the end and forget everything between episodes but with this they really play well the fact that you don't need to have known him for the last seven years to know all of that like we get enough covered here to go yeah he's he's lived a big career before the enterprise he's been the unquestioning minion he's been the the kind of person that will question the captain both on the enterprise and on his assignment beforehand and yeah, he's he's grown as a person. Uh, we don't see much of the of the rest of the cast, but this is such a good uh, such a good highlight for Picard, for Riker, and for Pressman, who is played brilliantly by uh, Terry O'Quinn with more hair than I'm used to seeing him with. Yeah, um, although I will say, Worf got a great moment mm. when um, when Pressman tried to get Worf to. To kowtow. Worf is like takes a second and just kind of crosses his arms. You're just like, yep, no one's if Worf's not with you, no, no one's one with is. you. Yeah. Yeah, like Worf loves a good rule and and loves kind of obeying all of these things. And yeah, if he's if he's like, nah, mate, then no one is. I yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you get those sort of, hey, is everyone with me? And they're not where it doesn't it's less impressive like i guess the difficult thing is everyone's in action was a great moment there mm. it's like yeah you're fucked mate like this is it you you really thought it would play out a different way yeah now i i love terry o'quinn i i remember watching him in millennium where he he had a very nice very good kind of role he was very much a supporting guy yeah. In that, and in Alias as well, I think, briefly. And yeah, he was good in those. I know from that that work, he got a job with Lost without even an audition. He was one of the only people that didn't have to audition. Because, no, uh, because I, people oh, were so he, impressed like he, with him. Like, he, he definitely has... He, he's definitely one of those great character actor types. Mm. Who, who who gets like those supporting roles and then one day like one day he gets the dream job to be like Locke in Lost, who is one oh. of the best characters in that show. His like the the nuance, the complexity of a character that is able to come across like a complete badass at times and so incredibly pathetic. And yeah. still be the same person. And to go back and forth where you go, this is a character that does some great things and some awful things. 
and manages to get through like it's a shame really that the final season doesn't really do great by no. by John Locke the character even if it lets Terry O'Quinn still be an actor in it yeah but um but yeah John Locke is so so fun as a character and it's so interesting watching him play multitudes as a single person so, so yeah seeing him like I I kind of wish he he could have been in more shows like this. Uh, before yeah. we recorded, you said he was in what three different roles in the X Files? He was like he was in three separate episodes of the X Files, playing separate characters. He's 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 very much he's in the movie mm. where he has an, a rather unfortunate porn stash. Oh dear. Um, but like yeah, um, for some reason I assumed he was on Babylon Five playing like a military officer because the actors these actors end up just end up playing the same roles in these shows. Yeah. Although I may have mistaken him for the one time where Bob Kelso from Scrubs plays an unscrupulous Earth Alliance officer later on in Babylon 5. Uh, and that's kind of funny course. because you know when you see Bob Kelso, you can't unsee Bob Kelso. <laughs> so it just becomes yeah. Bob Kelso in space. I, I know Terry O'Quinn is like has been in a bunch of things. He feels like in another world he could be another Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, you know, and it's it's always a pleasure seeing him in in all these different things. Oh, now, now I want to see a film with Jeffrey Combs, Terry O'Quinn, and Brad Dourif. Oh, oh, there's the dream. I mean, there's um, the Overthinking It podcast refers to uh, some people like your Jeffrey Combeses as an or um, Tilda Swinton as an actor who gets work. <laughs> you know, irrespective yeah. of quality, they are always acting. They're always oh, yeah. there. And yeah, Terry O'Quinn, it surprises me that he is not more of that already. And he's been a lot. It just feels like he he should be as ubiquitous as those at some point. So, um, one question: mm-hmm. If hashtag Blake's boys falls oh, through, do do I then have to try and push you on hashtag Lost Boys? Oh, I. It's been a few years since I last rewatched Lost as as the Lost defender. Admittedly. Uh, given recent um, journalistic outings from Mo Ryan, uh, it feels like it's falling into another great show with some rubbish showrunners, which was great despite the people on top being dicks quite often. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I would, it would not take much for me to return to Lost. Would your partner not? <laughs> Because your part, your your partner has threatened relationship suicide if we go ahead on hashtag Blake's voice. Yeah, I don't know. We've lost lost All one right. of those difficult ones, but I I love and will rewatch. But you will not. Similar uh, okay. to Gilmore Girls in that respect. What, what about Fringe? Don't know. Maybe. 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 It's got that fringe. lovely mad science. It's got old Pacey from uh, from Dawson's well, Creek. I was going to say Fatal Attraction. Oh dear. I keep forgetting about that. Anyway. Anyway. Yes. Anyway. To Jabram's verse shows aside, where is this going on the big list? Yeah, so this is a really good one. 
Like I I really enjoyed it. I think I might prefer Preemptive Strike up um up at number eleven with Rolaren and the uh and the Marquee. But it it feels of a piece with that, you know? Yeah. I am I'd have to agree with that. So question is, I guess, is it one that's immediately under or is it, you know, lower still? Like uh, you know, what TNG wise, we've got that and then a few places down we have elementary deer data, which no offense to it, because it was good fun. It feels very junior kind of like it feels I, like small potatoes compared okay, to this. I, I have the question. Is mm-hmm. it better or worse than episode than number fourteen on our list, which is drone from Voyager, which is currently oh. the highest ranking Voyager episode on the big objective list of casual track. Yeah, yeah. The our uh, our list of definitely objectively ranked Star Trek. God, I see drone is good. I think it might be a bit better. Like drone feels like you've still got to know a bunch of stuff. Like you got to know about the future tech for the emitter a bit, and it feels a bit conditional with it all. Right. Like I know we're ranking great writer versus great writer with Brian Fuller's drone and Ron Moore's Pegasus here. Okay. Is it better or worse than what comes in at number tw- number thirteen, the cage? <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, that's a quality wise. It's it's a hundred percent better. Yeah, like, we didn't get to see Alf behind a perspex cage, who's there to basically watch a couple of humans fuck. But um, you know, it's still. Do you, know, think... do you know? Do you know who I think could bring about a bra- about? emotional gravitas about watching two people fuck behind a wall. Mm-hmm. Terry O'Quinn. Oh god, yeah. I I, 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 I that he could bring Pathos to that role. Yeah, you'd you'd think, oh he's really conflicted about this. He's not stopping watching them. He he's definitely into it, but he feels he feels bad at the same time and he can convey all of that because he's Terry O'Quinn. Alright. Um so <laughs> is it okay. So it really comes down to a mock time versus the cage, which is better than the Pegasus. Oh, oh. good question. I think it's difficult because, again, it's it, it's got a mock time on quality, but a mock time has some incredibly iconic moments. Like people are going to go da 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 and ponfar and all that. They're not going to go remember that time that they phased out of an asteroid or the Enterprise D put its headlights on, which I I was excited in a way that I'd not been about headlights on a thing since seeing Thunderbirds as a child. You know, it it had that feeling for me. All right. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I, I mock time. I don't know. I think a mock time might be better. Yeah, yeah. It's yep. it's definitely more iconic. As as good as Terry O'Quinn is, like the guest stars in in a mock time are no slouch either. No, no. Okay, so that puts it. That's a really high showing. That puts it at number thirteen yep. on a big list. God, TNG. Is I know you were you were a little more down on the idea of TNG 
early on in this going, oh yeah, it's you know, it's just fairly starchy action yeah. figures and the like. But yeah, it's it's had a pretty good showing so far. Yeah. Clearly we need to find more good episodes of Enterprise and Voyager. Yeah. Yeah. More more Enterprise. Yeah, there has been there has we have to find okay. My my goal by the end of this, when we've watched every single episode of Star Trek, mm-hmm. is to find one Enterprise episode that makes it into the top twenty. I would love to see that. Top, I've Okay, I, okay, okay. Yeah. Top twenty top thirty. Top thirty. Top thirty best episodes of Star Trek. Enterprise needs to make it in at least one episode into the top forty. <laughs> We've got one well, in exactly number thirty right now with the Andorian incident. Yeah, but that, that's now. That's at fifty-three, soon to be fifty-four episodes in. So yeah, I mean, it's probably not staying at thirty. Yeah, uh, given what's what's about to happen. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, uh, I, I feel bad that we're we're mostly seeing poor episodes of Enterprise and. I want to see good ones. I, you know? I I want to see episodes of Enterprise which justify Scott Bakula being on the show. Oh yes, because yeah. if we want to have good episodes, you know, like if we just want to put some episodes of Quantum Leap on here instead of uh, Enterprise, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, from one. TV talk of one TV series that's a little, a little disappointing to one which, um, f- at least for the first couple of seasons, was was pretty disappointing. With our third episode, Picard season three, episode one, the Next Generation, where our bad admiral is Jean Luc Picard himself. Yeah, we're cancelling you, JL. You're as bad as these bad admirals. Anyway. Uh, this episode aired on the 16th of February 2023, making it the most recent episode that we'll have covered, like the shortest distance between us in the present day where we're recording this and the air date itself. This was written by Terry Metalis and directed by Doug Arniakoski. The UK and US number one hits were uh, Miguel doing Sure Thing. And Miley Cyrus doing flowers. Uh, again, I've I've no idea who Miguel is. It's very presumptuous that he's only using a first name. Yeah. Um, because I don't know which Miguel it is. Perhaps he's um a really big fan of uh Spider Man twenty nine ninety nine and doesn't want to get confused with Miguel O'Hara. Oh, maybe, maybe. I am. Um, I know what you said about superhero movies. I cannot wait to see the oh, new Spider Verse. I, I am. I am down for it for across the Spider Verse. Yeah, like Oscar Isaac as Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Yep. Hell yeah. Hell, they've even got the Scarlet Spider. For, you know, from the nineties with the cut off hoodie. The, hood, the hoodie. The hoodie. Yeah, yeah. I spent way too long of the PlayStation Spider Man game in that hoodie. Oh, that that was that was definitely one of my favorite costumes in the Spider-Man PlayStation game. It was so good, but we're not doing that. We're doing a we're not Picard. Doing a, we're not doing a PlayStation Spider-Man podcast. No, no. As much as I like the PlayStation Spider-Man, that's not why we're here. Not today, at least. So, Mars, if you can recap this, and I did wonder whether you were just going to read out your blog post. 
or not. Or not but... No, no. That's definitely more than five minutes. Yeah, good point. Okay, so, engage. Meanwhile, in the 25th century, someone doesn't want to set the world on fire. But, um... On a on a sh- on a ship in deep space, Beverly Crusher's game of Fallout Three is interrupted by some badons who attack her. Um, they also attack um someone else who we don't see straight away, who Beverly locks in a room while she's pulling out her pump action phaser rifle, which is a thing I just said. There is a firefight, and Beverly Crusher has definitely been playing some Call of Duty because she one shot kills. That's how you know. Things are serious. Oh, FPS queen, Bev Crusher. But, you know, after she's teabagged some noobs, uh, things go horribly right and there's an explosion. Cut to Chateau Picard in France, where Picard and Laan, his his Romulan housekeeper, who so clearly... Laris. Laris, crap. Laris, <laughs> who clearly wants to ride that bald head like it's not going out of fashion anytime soon, are packing stuff up to go on holiday. But Picard, who, who seems to have found some peace, he's going to work on his memoirs. Um, He gets a surprising phone, an emergency text on his old um TNG communicator badge. God, wish my phone battery could last that bloody long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It turns out that it's using some sort of secret codec, which is a a technical term, which we will find out later. <laughs> he gets them. He de- he deciphers the message. It's from Beverly. Jean-Luc, come find me. Here are some coordinates. Trust no one. So Picard immediately goes to Riker, who is on Earth uh, for Frontier Day, where the Federation celebrates Frontier Day. 250 years of go doing a Starfleet. Riker is able to decipher the message, and it turns out the coordinates... Picard had were actually wrong. You had to add a three to every number because um because this was back when Picard had come down with a bad case of the Borg. Stick a pin in that. We're gonna reference Picard coming down with a bad case of Borg a lot in this season. They they go off. Um what they're gonna do is that they're gonna go on a ship, pretend to be doing an emergency inspection, and then basically use this ship to go to another location without telling anyone anything. This is something that has happened so much in Star Trek, it can't go wrong. They decide to take the Titan, Riker's old ship, which has um, Commander Seven of Nine, or as she's being forced to refer to herself, Annika Hansen, as the, num- as the number one, and being captained by Captain Shaw. Captain Shaw is a dickhead in this episode oh my god such an ass such an ass of course you know we know that he's going to be the best part of the show in about three episodes time he has no patience for chateau picard wine he has no patience for Riker's love of jazz he is doing everything he can to be the edgiest edge boy on twitter to make sure that picard and Riker have the worst time possible he shoots down uh, Picard and Riker's demand to go to the Retalis sector. And it takes Seven of Nine going, okay, guys, what's the plan? What do you want? I'll sort you out. Because Seven of Nine is good people. Meanwhile, Raffi's in a subplot. It involves a Mardi Gras drug planet. It involves some stolen rep weapons. 
it's not really important to the bad admiral theme. Raffi's in a B plot, which is Raffi's entire role in this part in in this season of the show. So the Titan goes to the sector of space Picard wants to go. Picard and Riker get on a shuttle and they go over to the ship they have found. They immediately get jumped by this young whippersnapper who claims to be Beverly Crusher's son. Who is the father? I don't know. Fanwank something. Meanwhile, it turns out that Beverly Crusher is actually in a suspended animation capsule and is in a bad case of needing some medical help. As they try and get off, the Titan buggers off and then a new ship arrives. The Shrike to be continued. Wow. That's, yeah, literally on the nose. Five minutes. Good, good work. So, Miles. Charlie, I have a question to counter your question. Oh, no. Do you think that Chateau Picard is actually the worst wine in the Star Trek universe? Because the only person who has anything good to say about Chateau Picard is Picard himself, and he, which might make him an untrustworthy narrator as far as the pleasures that Chateau Picard might bring to the palette. It does feel an awful lot like he's he's invested in telling people it's good when yeah every, every single person who has anything to say about Chateau Picard doesn't like the wine. So oh my god, this is dog piss. And I kinda like that. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And yeah, it'd be it'd be fine if it's like, well, it's not like he needs the money. Yeah, like it reminds me of Destruction in Sandman, who is always trying to create something. Like he's always, he's always trying his hand at new at a new art. But the thing is, each one he tries, he sucks at. Yeah, but he doesn't mind. He just keeps doing it because he he wants to keep trying it. Yeah, and for Picard, he gets to gift people it, and yeah. then it'll just be put in the basement with all the others. Um, yeah, yeah. I it's. <sighs> So I remembered season two ending with Picard going back to Chateau Picard and to uh, Laris. And it was like, okay, so I couldn't remember whether she was just abandoned with all this. And no, no, they start off and it seems like they're together. Seems like they're having a nice time. And she is not remembered for the entire rest of this. No. It's a shame because she's great. But um, yeah. Alas, I guess I guess she'll run it and hopefully make some better wine. Yeah, I don't. Know, I, always get, I always get the idea that you know that the, everyone who works at Chateau Picard does it voluntary. I always hmm. get the feeling that all these people who ha- they, these people on Earth have nothing to do. So it's like, yeah, we have no need of money, so let's just work in a vineyard. Yeah, just spend our life doing that. Yeah, like these yeah. Romulan refugees, which seem to be his main his main staff. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? You know, they gave him enough shit that it wasn't like, oh god, he can fire us at any second. So like, no, no, he's like in the in the pilot episode of Picard, they seem very comfortable going, no, mate, you're a bit, you know, like you you should actually listen to us um, and all that. But yeah, wouldn't it be nice to live in hmm. a society when you could just work on your novel? whenever mm. you wanted, and not have to worry about having a job that pays the bills. 
Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? Oh, desperately. <laughs> what was your uh, question? Oh, well, I'm just depressed now. You yeah. Um, Will Wheaton's changed a bit. Yeah. This is now, Bev's son. Yeah. You know. now, now he's Aragon from the from the uh, the hit fantasy flop Aragon. <laughs> I never saw that. I think out of youthful bitterness, uh, uh, yeah. uh, a very connected child getting a fantasy novel out. I was like, yeah, I can't be asked. It's um, it's bad. Like it, it's just it's bad. Fair enough. For me, I mostly know him as um, yeah. I, I think I've mentioned before he was in you as um yeah one of the wealthy kind of guys although he, he came up from from a poor background and was salt of the earth honestly and you know kind of helping our our protagonist to to kind of maybe do some murders of wealthy idiots or maybe was actually a murderer himself and it's it's weirder than all that anyway but he has watching, a very he doesn't feel like he's what a twenty-year-old kid. No, he has a very distinctive French accent in this show. Mm. Because <laughs> as, as we all as we all know in Star Trek, French accents and English accents are interchangeable. Yeah, same thing, and somehow hereditary. Yeah, yeah, magic spark. Yeah. Oh God, oh, I didn't need to hear that phrase. Um, so. We get the nostalgia view at the start with the Fallout 3 kind of soundtrack going on. But when we hear some music when uh, JL and Riker both head onto the, uh, onto the ship, there's some more music playing. And it sounds like Picard made Bev a mixtape. Made him. He made her a mixtape, like as old manny as as usual for him. But he made her a mixtape. Oh, okay, okay. It's the twenty fifth century, so let's be honest. It's not a mixtape. He made her a spot, a playlist on Space Spotify. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they will have gone back to it. Like it's it's some sort of data thing instead. But yeah, it's it's basically that. Maybe in the future of Star Trek, you know how vinyl made a comeback? Yeah. In the last... Maybe mixtapes and cassette tapes make a comeback in the 25th century because everyone's like, oh man, magnetic tape. That wow. Quite... That seems quaint. It yeah. Has much... It has a much more organic sound than digital files. Of course, you've not heard it until you've heard it on minidisc. Oh, you see, you, you have never appreciated the White Album unless you've heard it on 8-track tape. So, um, yeah, it's this whole series at this point for the third season feels like just a quick tangent for Picard as a whole with season three. It's a marked improvement almost immediately on Picard seasons one and two. It feels incredibly aware of everything that went before, not just in the Star Trek films, even though it desperately wants you to remember the Star Trek films. And how much you loved them but um I, it does a lot of good stuff with the nostalgia i am terrified that that is the only message that they'll take away from picard yeah i mean i the the high point of the episode is uh patrick stewart and jonathan frakes yeah they are and, lovely together and i know uh, that frakes is kind of 
I, I feel that Frakes has downplayed his own skills as an actor mm. in in recent years, but I feel like you know, and I feel that the 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 chemistry between the two act between the two actors is great. I love the I love the older, much snarkier, which we actually we get a bit of the snarkier side of Riker in Pegasus with uh him doing his impression of Captain Picard. Yeah, and now you get to the point that like, these two have known each other for for so long that they can basically have the most British of friendship, the most masculine of friendships, and, and just be insulting each other. As well, you know, Charlie, you fucking bastard. Yeah, Mars, you piece of shit. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> come, come on, come on, then, you giant, you giant bald-headed slap-headed wanker. Right, you nigh American slag. Oh, oh, we go, oh, are we going East Oh, we're going to go East Enders with this. Oi, oi, Grant. You slept with Peggy, you slag. Oh, wait, Peggy was the mum. Peggy makes, was the mum. I mean, that, that is. That... <laughs> but, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Anyway, yeah, it's I love how effortlessly they sink into it. And it feels like yeah. the the camera and the... I don't know how much of it was specifically scripted for... Like, it felt very natural, you know, it, for what they I, played off each other. And, like, the camera just let them go. Yeah. So, story-wise, as far as this one goes, it is very much the... So oh. yeah, I I definitely think that it was something they it definitely feels like stuff they hashed out in rehearsals. Yeah. And blocking yeah. than anything else. Yes, it'd be interesting to know the process with this kind of thing. Like how much Metallus would go would play off of them, or like whether he just was that much for fanboy to be able to fairly comfortably write it all himself. You know, it's like the final shot of the of the season where it is just the cast shooting the shit playing cards yeah. while we slowly kind of like ascend and that's that's nice and again feels incredibly comfortable with it it's a shame this episode we only get a bit of picard and Riker, and not really any of the others like we get a little bit of fps bev but it's such a serialized show. You know, overall, what happens? Beverly is doing something and goes into hiding, sends out a message for Picard, who is, you know, retired and done with all this shit. And oh no, he's called back into action like the rogue action hero JL that he is in, in this show. And then, yeah, he does the bad admiral lies to starfleet lies to a captain and then corrupts one of the underlings getting them on board to do a crime basically it's like i i would say that if this was a star trek episode it'd be the first 10 minutes of like your classic mm. tng or like the first 15 minutes of a movie yeah yeah i mean that's the thing with a lot of these prestige shows or in this case yeah it's a thing wanting very much to be a prestige show it's it's definitely more able to be sliced apart as these bits of a movie yeah than anything else 
And, you know, we get the Raffi stuff where she finds out about the Red Lady, an incredibly ugly statue of the Enterprise C's captain. Um, I don't know why they made it that kind of red, aside from they needed a, a, the Red Lady yeah. before doing the portal gun terrorist attack, which is impressive to see. You know, it's it's a way of making that sort of, oh, we've killed a ton of people, boom, plot kind of thing that I think we're also very numb to. Yeah, um, it, look jarring and weird. It looks jarring, but since it's such a it's it's relegated to such a side plot of matters, you mm. think that this happened. Um and yeah, we like our most bad admiralness of this is is Captain Shaw seeing like having to deal with Picard and his shit. Yeah. You know, he instantly clocks them as bullshit merchants. Like he's instantly onto them and yeah, he is. Like, at this point, I remember messaging you and going, this captain guy, don't know who he is, but he seems lab-grown to be the opposite of all of our protagonists in a way to make us go, we don't like this guy. When they, when, when they break the rules, when they don't do a Starfleet, it's because he is Starfleet. And, you know, he's there to hate jazz, hate wine, dead name seven of nine and just lays around like some kind of idol shit. <laughs> he is so comically written at this point mm. to be the worst. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wonder if it's like how much of what happens with Shaw is really down to the fact that the actor playing him nails it. Oh, he is so 110%. And he's a D and he's a D and D fan. Okay. Um, like he actually, I think uh, recently he actually managed to persuade Jerry Ryan to come to his place to play a game of D and D. It's on his Instagram. Oh, okay. But yeah. Um. So, where does this episode of Picard go on the big list? Oh, now we've mentioned before about about very serialized episodes suffering a bit and as much of a joy as it was to see seven being a starfleet and captain shaw being a shit um this this doesn't really do much yeah outside of that um yeah i i think just skimming through the list it's gonna. It's not going to be bad. Like it's going to be better than, you know, things like uh, Strange New World. Probably better than Encounter at Farpoint. You know, it feels more dependent on our nostalgia and our patience than anything else. But um, you know, it's it's fine. Is it better than Alamoraine? Alamoraine! Alamoraine! Oh, move along home to the lower parts of the, uh, of the thing. I think, actually... So, quality-wise, definitely better. Yeah. Acting-wise, no offence to the DS9 cast, you know, what, ten episodes into a, into a gig. This lot do a lot better. Like, it's a uh, lot uh, more comfortable than that, certainly. I, 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 I will say, though... If we're ranking these shows on best lighting, this would definitely be on the bottom. Yeah, my God. They 
like every every show it feels a bit like we're in night mode yeah you know and and yeah on the apps on my phone i'll put things into night mode and you know it, but this it's all a bit dark yeah like, at least on strange new worlds they've got some lighting but yeah. um but yeah i think i think you've hit at a good sort of point for it like is it going to be better than you know is it is it better than cat's paw is, is it a better couple of places than... up at 39 is it better than Eldritch Clangers? Oh, I love those Eldritch Clangers. I think I have more fun with Cat's Paw, but that's the kind of thing that's not stopped it being all the way down in position 39 here. Yeah. Um, with the other things. Well, didn't we put Cat's Paw... Wasn't Cat's Paw at one point on 13? It was. It was. This is how much we've done this. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, like, we are nearing our, our year anniversary. Yeah, I've tormented you with this for a long time, and, and oh, yeah. you've done a good job of trolling me right back <laughs> with a lot of this. But yeah, I I think Cat's Paw is more fun, but this is a real, like a step up for Picard as a show. Yeah. You know, we've got what, Picard... Season one, episode one's third from the bottom right now. Yep. Um, um, all right. Okay. Um, is it better than episode th- than number thirty-seven on the list, which is the game where the Enterprise gets hooked on Candy Crush? I think that's better. All right. Like, so I, I don't know about you. Like the game is is wacky bullshit. Yep. Okay. All right. But it is like wacky bullshit is always going to play higher for me. Yeah. Then of course, then after the game, we have on number thirty-eight is Coda, where Janeway has a ghost dad. Yeah. 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 I think this is better. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, what sticking up between that and the game? So the new episode thirty-eight. Yeah, the best showing. That Picard has had so far. Excellent. So number thirty-eight. Now there are some good. There there are some good bits of Picard, but um, yeah, I I do imagine a lot of the first two seasons are going to be lower than that. Um, personally, the one about museums, about the space museum, in this in season three is probably going to be higher because I like the idea of a space museum. I, I I think the one at the episode, I think it's like episode three or four, when they're trapped getting closer to like the space anomaly. Oh, that is some out. Star Trek. Like like the one where, where like Riker's like, yeah, we're gonna die. Make some time spend some time with your kid. Like I think that might rank higher. Yeah, well, it's one of those things of oh, we need to destroy a thing. No. This is a living thing. Oh, we need to do a Starfleet. It's again, like I remember sat, being sat there watching it going, they're doing a Starfleet. Like it's an it's an episode of a thing. It's not part three of a ten part single story. And it it was it was fun. Yep. This wasn't that. It, it wasn't it wasn't the yeah. worst. You know? It wasn't the worst. We had we had some fun with it. You know, and I think I think that is overall going to be the the thing with season three. 
of Picard. I'm still going to be worried that they will only think of doing nostalgic takes on it all. And, you know, partway through this show, there was all that, hey, this is the last season of Picard. But we could always drag these fellas out of retirement yeah. again. So I, I, I love Patrick Stewart, but it's it it feels sad hearing like he has aged a lot. You know, as we all do. Yeah. But it is that thing when you hear his voice and go, Oh no, like please retire and have a nice a nice time. Like, if you're running around with phaser rifles or you know, any of this sort of stuff, it's like, oh no. If yeah, I I don't know. It it I... makes me feel sad. It makes me reflect on mortality. Uh, a lot more than maybe a fun space show about spaceships. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I I think uh, Patrick Stewart is, is just gonna be like what is one of those actors who is gonna be doing it until the end. Yeah. Oh God. And, like, yeah. I, I definitely get the feeling that you know he's doing that if he does it at this stage in his career, he he's pro- definitely not gonna be doing it just for money, but just because he loves acting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And like you know, in this day and age, if you can go out doing what you love, fair play. Yeah, yeah. So, speaking of going out doing what we love, yeah, this has been casual trek, and uh, we've ranked three whole episodes. So I guess it's time to wrap okay, up. We we've ranked two episodes and one tenth of a third. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Fine. Um. So yeah. You can always check us out on Kofi, where you can suggest episodes for us. We've got a few things lined up, but that does leave openings for potential things. Or Miles and I will torment each other with awful, awful suggestions for yeah. themes. If you want, if you want to make, if you if you know of a good episode of Enterprise, send us some money, send us some titles, and we'll do it. Hell yeah, yeah! Any amount of money as well. We're not yeah. fussy. No, if you want, if you want us to watch an episode where they have to wipe people down with decontaminant gel, send us some money. We'll do it. That yeah. one episode where a character definitely does a walk. Ooh, that's an idea for a uh, for a episode. Episodes of Star Trek where characters definitely commit war crimes. Wow. Okay. So yeah. But we're not doing that next time because we're in June at this point and we'll have only just seen the start of season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So we're going to be doing an episode to drive in on some of that sweet, sweet synergy and talk about a bit of Strange New Worlds, including possibly even that brand new episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, Yeah, so there's that. And uh, outside of the show, where can we find you, Mars? Well, you can find me on Twitter at AtmanMiles, where I'm just, at this point, I am am the violinist on, on the Titanic, just playing on as Elon Musk fucking sinks the ship even further. Oh, wow. I, 
I, I still wanted to I, I still want someone to edit a supercut of every time we mention our Twitter at the end of the show just to see at what point just despair starts setting in on our opinions on Twitter. So yeah. Oh and outside of Twitter, where can people find you? Oh, they can find me at my on my blog at mareadlobato.wordpress.com. That's M A R E I D L O B A T O. Where I am slowly talking about all the films of Martin Scorsese, um, which I am watching because it makes Marvel fanboys angry. That's wow. how my life. That's my life. That's my pettiness. And the um, good thing is, there are a lot of good movies. Oh, in, no, in his I, oeuvre. I watched The King of Comedy yesterday, mm. which, um, you know, is a huge inspiration for Joker. Uh, will I watch Joker? Probably not. But The King of Comedy, um, yeah, I see why De Niro was seen as one of the great actors of his generation. Because going from Taxi Driver to this, um, yeah, quite amazing. Nice. Charlie. Yeah. Where can they find you? Oh, where, oh, where can they find you? So, uh, for now, I'm still on Twitter, although I don't know. It's just felt increasingly like, as a man who keeps picking at it like a, a horrific scab and has done for years. Um, yeah, just, uh so, uh, yeah, I'm there at Charlie underscore EN, where I'll be trying not to despair. I am also on uh, on Facebook on the X-Men Addicts group. I'm posting about X-Men literally every day as I read through currently the 2001-2002 era of X-Comics featuring Grant Morrison's new X-Men, um, Peter Milligan and Michael Rudd's X-Force, and then, yeah, Joe Casey's Other Uncanny X-Men well. and, and Claremont's Extreme X-Men, neither of which are, are great, but they are interesting. So go and check that group out if you want to see so how, me talk about it every single day. How much longer until you, until you hit Chuck Austin? Not long. I think I get the last for Casey's out in the next 10 days. I think I'm, I'm just knocking all of the Casey out at that point. And then, yeah, I've got a few mini series. And then, I don't know, at some point, it'll be, I'll be celebrating. You know, it'll be fun. But uh, yeah, so there's that. And there's uh, com, which is my blog, where I've got several overdue drafts of posts about indie RPGs I've been reading. And skyshark.itch.io for any comics and role-playing supplements. So yeah, that's. it sounds like a lot for a, a person that's done, frankly, very little aside from play Tears of a Kingdom in the last fortnight. So yes. And that's that's us. Um, and on that note, as always, uh, we say to you, live long and have a jelly baby. Go to a Starfleet, just not like a, an admiral, as apparently they're all dodgy. No, no, no war crimes. Go do good. Go do None good Starfleet. Don't go. Don't do a bad Starfleet. Yeah, learn from this episode. Yes, and yeah, do a Starfleet, but not at an admiral's level. If if someone asks you to participate in the experiment 
and only ever refers to it as the experiment and not, hey, we want you to hug this puppy. Say no. Say no to the experiment. Yeah, if admirals are what? Getting you to help with AI spaceships, with weird cloak illegal cloaking devices, and um, changing your course abruptly for reasons, honestly, then uh, don't. Don't do that, Starfleet. Do a good Starfleet. Just just say no to bad brawls, won't you? 